Ernest Shackleton was an explorer in the 20th century and he famously made three trips to the Antarctic. Now apparently he put this advert in a newspaper. I, I like to check the authenticity, authenticity of things now, just to check things are true, you know, before you use an illustration. And apparently this can't be verified, okay? But um, I'll tell you it anyway, because it was written in a book about advertising that said he did put it in, but nobody can find the original clipping. But this is what apparently he put in this newspaper. It said this, men wanted for a hazardous journey. Low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return, doubtful, honour and recognition in event of success. That was the advert in the paper. Now, it's not very appealing, is it? Who would want that? Well, when we look at Jesus' words this morning, it's a similar vein, isn't it? You, you hear Jesus' words and you think, what is he saying? What is going on here? Now, let's remember where we are this morning in John's Gospel. Jesus is preparing his disciples for life without him. He is getting them ready uh, for what it would mean to follow him without him physically there. And the passages we've looked at so far have been full of encouragement, haven't they? You know, you're the troubled disciples and Jesus says, I want to give you a life of peace. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You know, here are the troubled disciples wondering, well, what's going to happen to us in the future? And Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Don't worry. Here are the disciples saying, but where, what's going to happen between now and then, Jesus? And Jesus says, I'm going to be with you by my spirit. You will know an intimacy with me that you can't know now because I'm physically here. But when I go and send the spirit, you can know my love and experience my love in a way that you've never experienced before. Last week we saw Jesus promise promises those who follow him a fruitful life, a life of purpose and meaning, and again, this intimacy. And it all sounds great, all sounds encouraging, you think, yes, this is great, this is what we want. And then this next section, you think, maybe Jesus should have run this past his kind of PR campaign, you know? Maybe he should have thought about changing how he said this, because what does he say? Well, a summary of it is this. Jesus says, if you follow me, people are going to hate you. Think, well, that doesn't sound very appealing, Jesus. But that's the passage this morning that we're going to look at. If you follow me, Jesus says, people are going to hate you. Jesus is talking about this opposition that we will face if we follow him. And so there's three headings for us this morning to look at. We're going to see that opposition is to be expected, opposition can be explained, and then we'll finally ask, well, how do we respond? Okay, so opposition is expected, explained, and then how do we respond to this opposition? So let's start with that first heading. Opposition is to be expected. So Jesus tells us here, in no uncertain terms, if you're a follower of me, you must expect conflict and opposition. Look at verses 18 to 20 with me. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. His guarantee is this. Jesus says, look, the world's going to hate you. Why? Because it's hated me, and you're following me. Because it's hated me, it will hate you as well. He goes on to say, verse 20, remember the, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. He said that in chapter 13. Uh, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll also keep yours. You see, Jesus says, look, look at how they've treated me. They're going to do the same to you. Now, this isn't the only place this is mentioned in the Bible. People who follow the truths of the gospel are going to face persecution. 
Paul tells us in 2 Timothy, he says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus himself says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You read through the book of Acts, and you can't miss what's going on there. Here is the church standing up, following Jesus, and what do they face? Persecution. Martyrs. People killed for Jesus. People thrown in prison for Jesus. And as you follow the history of the, of the church, that's what you see. Early church, um, they were thrown to the lions for entertainment. In the time of Nero, Christians would have been dipped in tar and set alight to be lights for his garden parties. They would have um, their skull, they'd have a hole drilled into their skull and poured molten lead into it. This is the kind of thing that Christians have faced from early on. And as you look through the rest of history of the church, it keeps happening. You go through every century and see the same. The 16th century, you see William Tyndale burnt at the stake for translating the Bible. Latimer and Ridley as well burnt at the stake for preaching the gospel. And it's not just kind of the ancient past, but the 20th century. You think of the five missionaries, um, Jim Elliot, Nate Saint, and their friends who were killed by the Orcas. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was killed for standing up to the Nazis. Uh, there were more Christians killed for following Jesus in the 20th century than the whole of the history of the church before that combined. And it's not just the 20th century, but today, the 21st century. Now, we might not be facing this kind of persecution in this country, uh, this kind of uh, threat for our lives, but all over the world today, there are Christians risking their lives to meet together. Every year, Open Doors, the charity, produces a list of 50 countries where it is most dangerous to be a Christian. Here are a few of them. Afghanistan. It's impossible to live openly as a Christian in Afghanistan, and it's hard to know how many Christians that are there. And this is what one Afghan Christian says. How we survive daily, only God knows. He knows because he has been kind to dwell with us, but we're tired of all the death around us. In Syria, you can go and see there many areas with churches, they, they've just been burnt down. Church leaders abducted. Eritrea, you go there and the, the government security forces are always watching Christians, always monitoring their phone calls. Every activity they take is being watched and then they raid Christians and they target Christians, they seize all their materials, they damage their property and the churches. And Christians can be arrest, uh, uh, arrested and imprisoned without any warrant, or without any trial. And there's lots being held in horrible conditions this morning because of their faith. They're taken from their families and their families don't know if they're alive. Even this week, I uh, had a message from a friend who works with students and is an evangelist. And he um, urged us to pray for church in Nigeria, where they were attacked this week at 2 a.m. in the morning. They have a hostel on the compound and all the 12 students there in the hostel were attacked. The caretaker uh, was attacked as well, and he's got severe injuries, and they were praying for his life. Thankfully, this time, the church said no one is abducted, because what they usually do is they abduct people and um, wait and try and get a ransom out of them. And that's today. That's this week. That's what Christians are facing all over the world. And Jesus is telling us here, don't be surprised when you face persecution and trials. Now, as we think of that for us this morning, what differences should that make to us? Well, I think there's a good reminder, number one, that we are part of a global church, isn't it? We need to pray for our brothers and sisters 
all over the world facing these situations. Hebrews 13 says this, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, as those who are mistreated since you are in the body. They're our family members. Imagine it was you. Imagine it was your child or your parent taken into prison. We pray as if it was us. So we need to pray for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, in North Korea, in Yemen, in Iran. They need our prayers. They need our support. Maybe we need to be more um, really thinking this through, being in touch with organisations like uh, Open Doors and finding out more how we can pray. As a church, we need to be praying for them. Now, in Wales today, we don't face violent opposition, do we? But we might face hostility. We might face opposition. And the way things are going, it's only going to increase, isn't it? And we shouldn't be surprised. Maybe you know what it's like to have family, friends, work colleagues just mock you, belittle you, look down on you. Just because you're holding to the teachings of the Bible, the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of the church that we've held for centuries. God is calling us, and and Jesus is reminding us this morning, we are called to go against the flow. It's going to be hard. And Jesus said, expect opposition. Now, maybe you're here and you're thinking, you're not a Christian yet, and you're thinking these things through, and you think, well, this does not sound good. This is something, you know, I'm out. You know, no, thank you. But as we go on to see, if this is true, and if what Jesus says is true, we can't deny it. Don't give up yet. Listen to what Jesus has to say. So opposition, first of all, is to be expected. But secondly, opposition can be explained. Why then will we face persecution? Why will we face hatred? Why will we face opposition? Uh, Why will people sneer? Why will people mock? Why will people hate us? Well, we touched on it just now, but do you see what Jesus says? The problem isn't you. The problem is me. It's not you, Jesus says, it's me. Look at verse 21, how he puts it there. All these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know who sent me. Here is Jesus saying, look, it is me. I am the problem. People hate me. And so if you follow me, if you say my name, people will hate you. Now, why do people hate Jesus? You know, on a lot of, a lot of times when we talk to people, they'll say, oh, I like the teachings of Jesus, or oh, Jesus was a decent person. But Jesus is telling us here, no, if people really understand who I am, they do not naturally like me. Why? Well, verse 21 told us, didn't it? Do you see the end of it there? Because they do not know him who sent me. Verse 23 uh, tells us, if I had not come and spoken to them, their world would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. Verses 18 and 19 tell us that the world hates you because the world hates me. Now, in John's Gospel, the word world is used not as just our planet, but it is used to describe people who are opposed to God, who are against God. And as you look at the whole Bible, well, this makes sense. Go back to Genesis to understand why this is happening. Because God, remember, created us and created the world for uh, us to enjoy with him. We were created to be in a wonderful, loving relationship with God. Uh, But the problem was we turned away from God as humanity. And we decided, I'm going to go my own way. I don't need God. And so we don't submit to him. We didn't want to trust him. And we've gone our own way. We don't want to be answerable to anybody else for our life. We want to do and make the decisions on our own. 
And so we push God out of our life. Or as Romans 1 puts it, we suppress the truth. Yet we push the truth down. So even though everybody knows that God is true and real in their hearts, we have pushed that truth down. And we do not want to be reminded of it. So if anybody comes along and says and reminds us God is true, then we, want, we don't want anything to do with them. We react to that. We respond to that. Naturally, that's how we do. So Jesus then comes along. And he comes and he says, the kingdom of God is near. The king is come. You need to submit to the king. Here is Jesus teaching things uh, that, uh, with an authority that nobody else has taught with. And he says, you need to lose your life to me and then you'll gain it. You need to listen to my ways. You need to follow me. Jesus spoke and taught. And what was their response? Everybody hated him. That's what verse 22 says. If I had not come and spoken to them, they wouldn't have been guilty of sin. He exposes their sin. He shows everybody what their rebellion is, that they don't follow God and they don't listen to him. But it wasn't just all words, was it? Jesus didn't just come and say. Jesus did things to show who he was. So he displayed his power by showing control over nature. Remember when he said to the waves to be quiet and the wind to be quiet. He had power over sin, to forgive sin. And so he could say to somebody, your sins are forgiven. He had power over sickness. And so he could say to someone, you know, rise up, take up your mat and walk. Jesus had the power even over death. Jesus was showing that he had the authority of God, that he was God in the flesh. So he comes and shows that the eternal God is real. There is no denying who I am and why I've come. But what happened? Well, look at verse 24. If I had not done among them the works, the signs that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they've seen me and they've hated both me and my father. I did these things and people hated me for it because it showed them this truth that they'd suppressed is true and real and people hate me for it. See, Jesus here is said, by his preaching, by his miracles, I'm showing you who I am. And as he exposes the truth of who God is, that reveals to us that we're guilty of sin, that we've rejected and rebelled against him. He was shining a light on their hearts. And people don't like that. You know what it's like, don't you? Like on a day like today, when you get kind of blasts of sunshine coming through the windows, and it shows, comes into your house, and instead of being rejoicing that, you know, sun is finally shining, you just noticed all the dusting that you haven't done, because the light shows up the dirt. Jesus was the light of the world, and when he came and spoke, he exposed things in our hearts that we don't want to think about, things that we thought were okay, and we realize, no, they're not. We don't like that. We don't like the thought of being answerable to somebody else for our life. We want to have our truth, and nobody else has any say on that. These are things that go against the grain of our culture, of humanity. Someone else has a say on our life, and we don't like it. See, the claims of Jesus, the signs that Jesus did to show who he was, can't be ignored. They can't be shoved aside. It's uncomfortable to see, isn't it? But we need to see it. With Jesus, you can't just say, oh, this is interesting. Here's a few words that this man in the first century came up and said, or here's a few things he might have done. No, no, no. What Jesus says about himself is huge. If someone was to come in here today and they say, oh, I don't like uh, the paint, 
you know, I don't like the carpet here, or I, I don't like the, what, what you've done with the decor. You might think, well, that's, that's fine, you know. Uh, you can, that's your opinion. <laughs> you can keep that, that's fine. And we wouldn't take much notice. Well, we might take a bit, a bit of notice, but it wouldn't really matter. But then if somebody were to come in and say, I really don't like this building, and so I've decided to put a bomb in here, and I've hidden it, and it's going to go off. Now, that's not just an opinion, is it? That is, well, there's a big difference there, because the claim that is being made and how we respond to it is very different. You have to decide, is this man telling the truth or is he crazy? Because we need to respond to that. That's a truth you can't just ignore. When Jesus came, a lot of people say, oh, well, that's a, if you trust in Jesus, that's fine. If you want to follow Jesus, no problem. That's good for you. But the truths that Jesus say aren't just a matter of taste. It's a matter of truth. Was Jesus crazy or is he telling the truth? That's what we've got to grapple with. It would be much easier if Jesus said, take me or leave me. But remember what we've seen about Jesus, even in these passages. John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to God but through me. So you can't sit on the fence with Jesus. He's either crazy or he's telling the truth. And that is offensive. That puts us kind of in a place we don't want to be where we have to make that decision. And so when we hear Jesus and when we hear his words we respond against it. We don't like it. We push out against it. And so if somebody is speaking for Jesus, then they are going to face hostility and opposition. Now, this morning, maybe you're a Christian and you've faced this. You think of times when your family, friends, work colleagues, whatever it is, and you've been mistreated or you've been looked down on. Look at what Jesus is saying here as an encouragement. It's not you. It's me. The fact that they know you're a Christian, the fact they know you follow Jesus can just make people feel uncomfortable. But Jesus says, it's not you, it's me. People hate to be reminded of God and who he is. I find it so interesting that often atheists get very angry about a God they don't believe in. You know, people don't like to be reminded. We also need to be careful with this, though, don't we? Some Christians would see this passage and kind of it gives them a license to be really insensitive, to just offend people because, well, the world's going to hate us. No, the world's going to hate Jesus, and they'll hate us because we follow Jesus. Let's be sure that we're not being offensive, but we're letting the offense be the message of the gospel being Jesus. We are to present these truths, the Bible says, with gentleness and respect. Not just go and say, no, I don't care. I'm going to offend whoever I want to offend. No. The message may offend, but the messenger shouldn't offend. Jesus is the one we're speaking for. Now, again, if you're not a Christian, thinking these things through, and you're thinking, well, you know, this passage does not sound very appealing. But you see, we need to grapple with this. There are going to be things in the Bible that we don't like. We need to come to grips with that and come to terms with that. And if that is the case, that's good. It means we're encountering a real person. The other option is we come to Jesus and he just agrees with everything we've ever thought. You know, we, we just cut the bits out we don't like, and we end up having a Jesus who is very, very similar to us. Oh, look, he agrees with everything that I agree with. Well, that is not the real Jesus. You remember the film, The Stepford Wives, or it's a, a novel as well. The idea was these men kind of turned their wives into robots, and so they always agreed with them. Uh, they never had arguments. They never had any fights, but there was no love or intimacy there because they were robots. They weren't real. If there is conflict, if there is um, fighting in that sense, then that means that there's a real relationship, two real people coming together. 
when we come to the Bible, we don't just cut out the bits we don't like, because we'll end up with a, a stepford God, a God we've just made up. No, if you're grappling with this this morning, you think, oh, I don't like this. Well, that means you're encountering the real Jesus. It means that you are starting to see, oh, I need to think this through. Is he crazy or is it true? I need to decide. See, opposition is to be expected. Opposition can be explained. But let's finish with this. Well, how then do we respond? How do we respond? We've seen so far Jesus saying, look, the world hates me. It has hated me. It's going to hate you as well. If you follow me, that's what's going to happen. So what do we do? How do we live? It's tempting, isn't it, as a follower of Jesus to kind of want to keep quiet. Well, if, if you know, me mentioning Jesus' name, if me bringing to mind God and the truths of the Bible uh, will make people oppose me, then I'm going to keep quiet, aren't I? But look at what Jesus says in verses 26 to 27. When the Helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus is saying, I'm not leaving you on your own. I'm not just saying go. I'm saying I will be with you. The Holy Spirit will come. He will be with you. And then as he bears witness to me, as we've seen last week and we'll see next week as well, the job of the Holy Spirit is for him to shine the light on Jesus, then so you will also want to tell people about Jesus. You will share him. It's a wonderful picture, isn't it? The Father sends the Son. And then the Father and the Son send the Spirit. And then the Father and the Son and the Spirit send us out as, as followers of Jesus, as the church, to go and share this news with people around us. See, if this is true, we cannot keep it to ourselves. People need to hear the truth. So when things seem hard and we're standing against the flow, you know, when, when the tide is kind of going against us, we remember Jesus is with us. When holding on to the biblical truths and holding out the truth of the Bible in an age that says that is rubbish, you can't believe that, we remember Jesus is with us. This is the truth and people need to hear it because without this, we're going to be enslaved. We're not going to be set free and we're facing an eternity without, without God. See, when it gets hard and we get embarrassed by Jesus, when the, we can see conversations come in and we kind of think, oh, no, I don't want to do this. How do we deal with it then? I think what we need to do is come back to Jesus. Remember again his miracles that show us who he is, that he's true, and the greatest miracle of all, his death and his resurrection. What did Jesus do on the cross? Jesus on the cross experienced deep shame and embarrassment. And he experienced that for you and for me. He was willing to, uh, to go through the deepest and uh, most horrible of situations for us. This is how one of the hymns puts it in, in a really helpful way. Jesus, and shall it ever be a mortal man ashamed of thee? Ashamed of thee, thee whom angels praise, whose glory shine through endless days? Ashamed of Jesus, of my God, who purchased me with his own blood, of him who, to retrieve my loss, despised the shame, endured the cross? Ashamed of Jesus, of my Lord, by all of heaven's glorious hosts adored, know I will make my boast of thee in time and in eternity. Till then, nor is my boasting vain, till then I boast a saviour slain, and oh may this my glory be, 
that Christ is not ashamed of me. Jesus was willing to go through deep shame for us. And so when we're called to stand up for him, we do that in the power of the Spirit for the glory of Jesus. It's tempting to keep quiet, but Jesus says, by the power of the Spirit, you can speak and show people the hope of Christ, the comfort, the security, the intimacy that we've enjoyed and experienced and seen in the last few chapters. But another response to this is, is thinking, isn't it? If we're in a situation where we're facing opposition, if we're in a situation where, um, where things aren't going well, look what Jesus says. This is why I'm telling you this, chapter 16, verse 1. I've said these things to you to keep you from falling away. So Jesus is saying, keep going. I'm telling you this so that you won't get shocked by it. You see, if you're in opposition, you can easily wonder, well, what am I doing wrong? Or what am I saying that's wrong? Or um, maybe God doesn't love me if I'm going through this. But Jesus is saying this here, so verse 16, chapter 16, verse 4, I've said these things to you so that when the, their hour comes, you remember that I told you so. Remember what I've said, Jesus says, so you can keep going. So this morning, if you face opposition and if you're tempted to give up, Jesus is saying, keep going. I know what it's like, Jesus says. On this day where we're thinking about ascension, you know, here is a, a saviour who says, I know what it's like to go through what you're going through. I know what it's like to have a family turn against you. I know what it's like to face ridicule and embarrassment. I know what it's like to face harassment. I know what it's like to feel scared. Jesus has been there. I know what it's like to feel abandoned, to feel all alone. Keep going. You're holding out the truth. There's something about suffering and persecution and opposition that as you look through the history of the church and what believers have been through, it brings in a nearness of Jesus that no other situation brings. It brings in a reminder of Jesus' authority in a way that nothing else does. You see, when Jesus died, it looked like it was all over, didn't it? It looked like Jesus is lost. But then he rose again. And in the history of the church, when it looks like the, the church has been crushed, there is hope because Jesus is the Lord of the church. Places like Iran, one of the most dangerous places to live as a Christian, but 1979, they think there was about 500 Christians there. Um, you know, they were um, being persecuted in horrendous ways. But over recent years, lots of people are leaving Islam to turn to Christianity that is disillusioned with what they're seeing in Islam. And so do you know where the fastest growing church in the world is today? It's in Iran. Who'd have thought it? 500 Christians in 1979 and now the fastest growing church in the world. You could go to a place like China where Christians uh, meet in underground house churches. Uh, so the authorities are always keeping a watch on them again and, and, and watching them. And um, I read a book earlier in the year about a man who went around the world interviewing persecuted Christians. And he came to the church in China and uh, to meet up with them, they had code names uh, on their phones and things so that people wouldn't, wouldn't be able to follow and go where they are. But he asked them, how do you keep going? Now, you haven't got a chance. Here is the huge communist party of China. How do you keep going? And this is what they said. Well, we imagine this situation. The security police um, come and they say, you've got to stop these meetings that you're having. If you do not stop these meetings, we'll confiscate your house and we'll throw you out into the street. 
then the property owner will probably respond, do you want my house? Do you want my farm? Well, if you do, then you need to talk to Jesus because I gave this property to him. The security police will not know what to make of that answer, so they'll say, we don't have any way to get to Jesus, but we can get to you. When we take your property um, and your family, you'll have nowhere to live. And the church house believers will say, then we'll be free to trust God for shelter as well as trust him for our daily bread. If you keep this up, they say, we will beat you. Then we will be free to trust Jesus for healing. And then we'll put you in prison, the police threaten. By now, the believer's response is almost predictable. Then we'll be free to preach the good news of Jesus to the captives, to set them free. We'll be free to plant churches in prison. If you try to do that, we will kill you, the frustrated authorities will vow. And then, with utter consistency, the house church believers will reply, then we'll be free to go to heaven and be with Jesus forever. Do you see the, the encouragement, the, the boldness that Christians have all over the world? We can feel like, oh no, if we were in this situation, there's no way we'd be able to do it. But God gives the grace. He gives the strength when we need it. And we can trust him to empower us by his spirit. God is working in the midst of persecution. We don't need to be afraid. It's always been the case for the church. Most of the places in the world, they're in the minority. And the church is growing. Jesus is on the throne. We can trust him. Maybe you're not a Christian this morning. You're thinking, well, why should I bother with this now? The question comes down to Jesus. Is he who he said he was? Do you believe he came? Do you believe he died? Do you believe he rose again? That's the question you need to answer. And then, if he is, trust him, follow him. But it is important to see that when you do follow him, there will be tough times. Our problems don't just go away. We might even get more problems. But we will be on the side of Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. Wrestle these things through. Don't give up on him. If this is true, you can't ignore it. So let's pray today that as a church, we're emboldened to, to stand up for Jesus by the power of the Spirit. And that we will know in the midst of hostility, um, real growth and real confidence, not in ourselves, but in Jesus. Let's pray as we close together. Father, we do come to you in need of your help. Reading a passage like this, we can get scared and nervous and worried. So Lord, help us. Help us to take courage from our brothers and sisters who are going through this in extreme situations all over the world, and yet they're trusting, yet they're standing firm. Lord, we pray that our eyes would be on Jesus. And we pray, Lord, for those here today who are facing opposition and facing hostility in whatever situation, Lord, draw close to them. Remind them of your presence and your power by the Spirit, we ask. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.